How well do you know Ninja Turtles? Pretty well. All right, good. Um, here we go. Welcome to Jeremy's Iron. It's an evidence-based podcast about science and research. It's a conversation between a biostatistician and a doctor, surgeon, slash model. <laughs> slash podcaster. <laughs> With me, Justin Bebop. And me, Justin Rocksteady. I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our anagram game. We take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person. Like, uh, Alec Guinness. We are back, uh, and if uh, regular listeners might know uh, that, well, might have noticed that our intro is a little bit different, we are no longer just slagging on the wellness industry, much was, as that has been fun. It was too easy, right? <laughs> well, it's not just too easy. I feel like it was just too narrow, you know. It was very narrow. It was very yeah. narrow. Yeah. So, and, and it was kind of the same research foibles over and over again, right? It was. I felt it was repeating itself a bit. That's right. So, so anyway. uh, the, the new format, I guess, is going to be... Um, looking at, in particular, one piece of research each show, an interesting new piece of research which we find fascinating slash interesting. Relevant. Relevant. Um, uh, a good talking point. Just presses our buttons, you know. Yeah. Um, and today that is coming care of the University of California, Santa Barbara. Um, it's called Nutrition Transition in Two Lowland Bolivian Subsistence Populations. Yeah, so that's a mouthful, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> right? But it's not actually all that hard to get your head around what act what they actually did. Yeah, it's very it's a very interesting study on yeah. two um, what would you call the uh, forager horticulturalist uh, tribes, tri well, hunter gatherer. Yeah, in in Bolivia, they kind yeah. of compared between two tribes and assessed their dietary intakes mm. and had a look at um, how that compared to American a typical American diet and. Uh, had some fascinating findings there, and we'll be dealing with that in the second half of the show. First half. First half. What you got? I'll be honest. I, I don't have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, the week has really uh, flown by. Uh, the only news that I can think of right now that's really burning me <laughs> is that uh, I bought two bags of pistachios a couple of days ago, <laughs> okay. and they were not very good. I should probably <laughs> mention, too, that the new format entails me doing a read of the, the five... Real quick read, a real quick read of what five interesting um, science. It doesn't have to be five of research. No, it doesn't. But I'm, I've got five today. Some new research. I'll be like, this just in. This, that's really good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, news just in. Yep, that was, that was your Twitter handle we, like ten years it, it ago, wasn't was, it? It was. It was, and this is the perfect use for it. I yeah, finally, finally found a use for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, we. I top guess the news hour? just in will be the top top of the hour. We'll do the news yeah. just in where I'll, I'll go through five in this case yeah. uh, pieces of research that have come out really quickly. Some um, headlines, the headlines, just before the dealing with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, even before we do that, I had um, recently a bit of a, a gastro issue, which we talked about 
Did we talk about your scope? Not to the general public, but no. <laughs> okay. I had a, I had a gastros- gastroscopy for whatever reason. I'll keep that to myself. But uh, turns out I am lactose intolerant. So you found that out because of the scope, or yeah, there, there was, was a, a biopsy. biopsy. There was a biopsy that was taken. But boopsy. But <laughs> <laughs> is that from um, so, uh, bo- big bo- fat Greek wedding? I do not know. I think and don't it is. ask me to go. No, don't ask me to go there. I'm not doing okay. it. Okay. <laughs> I'm very much Acropolis now above uh, <laughs> my big fat Greek wedding. Right. You're a Nick Giannopoulos and an you know. Effie man. Yeah. All right. Nemo. I'm a, a Neovardalos guy. Good. <laughs> and John Corbett. <laughs> it's just what I like. Anyway, so I, I've been eating, well, drinking milk, eating cheese yeah. for the bulk of my life. Uh-huh. Apart from when I tried veganism for a while, but oh, maybe that did it to me. Maybe my veganism... Reset you. Reset me and all of a sudden... Flip the switch. Uh, That's another research topic for another day. But Mm -hmm. uh, now I can't have any of that stuff. What's the... (sighs) Okay, so... Apparently... So, firstly, I'd like to know... I guess I don't quite understand. A biopsy is just a piece of... You. Piece of meat. So, they They, just take a little... Bit of your... Probably the lining of your... I don't know. Either your stomach or they take a piece of lining of your intestine. Yeah. You know, maybe both. Depends on how far down they went with the scope. And they looked under that with a microscope, maybe um, looked at the enzyme levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lactose intolerance means you're missing, uh, I think, lactase, which yeah. is the enzyme that helps break down uh, lactose, which is the protein that's in dairy stuff. And if you can't break that down, some people have a hard time digesting it. So, so what am I going to do for milkshakes? Common amongst Asians. Yeah, apparently it is, it is yeah. quite common. Um, he gave me a score of four on some scale that I didn't inquire out of. about. You don't, I, you I don't, don't know. know. All I know is that uh, the, a variety of like Asian people are generally zero to one on this scale of lactose. Lacti- lac- lactase? Is that what lactase it is? Lactase deficiency? Lactase. Yeah. I'm four. So you're high. No, that's still low. Oh, that's still low. Okay. Apparently not like 10 or something is a, is the appropriate level where you... Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, right. I don't, know, I don't know what this is, but yeah. I should have inquired what these numbers <laughs> represent, but I thought, no, I'm have. happy with just an unscaled, you know, Answer zero one. to 10. Yeah. So I'm four. I'm four. So you, what you have functionally is a qualitative assessment. Um, no, so you have a. What do you have? It's not. It's not even qualitative because you don't know what the scale is. Mm. <laughs> you don't know anything. You have a number. You have a number that happens to be less than qualitative. Well, whatever it is, I I need it's to make something. some dietary changes. Or no, you can get the pills. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't aware. Lactate, that, I think is what lactase, they, lactase, lactase, or, or whatever, whatever it is. Different yeah. brands or whatever. Um, well, you can just cheat. You can just take it and then not have to deal with any of that. And then take it before my milk or whatever, my big... Yeah, you, you just it gives you the enzyme. Yeah. Now, I got to say, so you told me about this maybe an hour ago, right? This is... Or two hours ago. This is news to me. And this, I is, just, this is big news. This, this, is, is, big, this is... Well, this is big <laughs> news for me, right? Because right. I'm so excited. It just occurred to me. Oh, wait. I know what you're going to say. That now um, we can go to restaurants together. And I don't have to pretend to be lactose intolerant to not get the cheese that I hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that where you thought yeah. I was going? I thought you, well, I thought you were going pizzas specifically. This guy, this guy. Yeah. No, you no, you have I cheese eat, on pizza. I eat cheese on pizza. But cheese on nothing else. That's right. I gen most things, not anything else. I don't really like it very much. So now I often pretend to be lactose intolerant. Um, now I don't have to. <laughs> well, if you're listening and you're lactose intolerant, feel free to hit me up. Uh, let me know. Let me know how to survive in a lactose-free world. Uh, I'm scared. I'm actually scared. Well, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Because over the last few years, 
you have tried multiple exclusion diets. You have tried cutting out carbs. You have tried cutting out gluten at one point, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, these haven't been huge dietary changes. I'm a sucker for these things, yeah. But you never tried no dairy, did you? Well, not officially, but... The part of the veganism, I guess. That, but, but also um, I found that my sort of inflammatory symptoms that I would occasionally yeah. get disappeared when I went to Southeast Asia. Didn't have any no of it. dairy. No dairy. And that's why you find yourself subconsciously pulled back to Southeast Asia all the time. And Asian food. Because you find it? yourself feeling better. Anyway, let's get Amazing. on to the headlines with news just in. We need a theme song for that. Do you want to do some kind of like... Nope. That works. All right. Yeah. News just in. All right. So as I said, I've got five um, my picks of the latest scientific research to uh, the new releases yeah. over the last uh, four or five days, six days. And they're all news to me. I don't, I don't know any of this. No. So you're going to be asked to respond to the okay. news, right? So. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. I like this. Uh, okay. So Stevens Institute of Technology in New Jersey. Never um, heard of it. Well, uh, researchers have taken an ordinary white button mushroom from a grocery store and made it bionic. Explain. Good question. I was hoping that you could explain what bionic means. But <laughs> wow. it, it, basically what they've done is they've um, put, they've supercharged it with cyanobacteria and uh-huh. it, so it generates electricity. So mushrooms generating electricity after it's rubbed with this um, cyanobacteria stuff. Right. Okay. I don't know what it means to be made bionic, though. What does that mean? I don't know. When I, th- when I, when I think bionic, I think of like the bionic men. So I'm thinking it's got like, you know some robotic components but mushrooms are fairly simple organisms well that's right so so it's it's actually the bacteria the cyanobacteria that's yeah. known to be generating electricity mm-hmm. but it doesn't survive well on dead surfaces uh-huh. so it needs sort of a rich microbiota yeah which uh, mushroom provides it so they okay. uh, who knows what the use of these things are going to be <laughs> all of our world's energy problems solved with fungi. Are we going to have like a remote, remote control will be powered by like two button mushrooms now? <laughs> and it'll be like, <laughs> and like, would it be, the, that'd be the equivalent of like double A's and like D cell batteries would yeah. be like um, portobellos. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. But they're like obnoxiously big. That's really good. And you're like, dude, what's your speaker take? Oh, dude, it takes like four portobellos. <laughs> what? That's crazy. I've only got, I've got a, I've got a, Sock drawer full of portobellos right now. <laughs> no, I mean button mushrooms or like I, I don't know porcini ones. What are, what are the really skinny ones? Port, like, like, like that's a car batteries. Just gonna be like enoki. Are those ones the Japanese ones? A whole bunch of enoki tied together. What about like your you know the little like watch batteries? Those tiny little flat ones. Those are little like dried porcinis. Yeah. What do you need? I need those stupid little Japanese porcini mushrooms to power my Seiko watch. Uh, we got a lot more juice out of that than I was expecting. Okay, <laughs> yeah, next, uh, next piece of research yeah. at Stanford. Uh, um, oh, this is interesting. Uh, a decade of data documenting live births in the United States has linked babies of older fathers mm-hmm. with a variety of increased risks at birth, including low birth weight and seizures, mm-hmm. according to a new study. That's so, funny. So I think it, it's there's well-documented research of when... Maternal. Yeah, when for older mothers, there yeah. tends to be a lot more risks... For the baby, but older fathers apparently there's some similar um, similar effects. Um, they have defined advanced parental sorry advanced paternal age as 35 and above. Oh, so man. we're already over the hill, buddy. We are already having <laughs> we are 
our children. We're having imperfect children from, from here on in. Absolutely. Oh, man. Um, Thank God they're going to be such a high caliber in the first place and it won't be noticed. <laughs> uh, but the uh, apparently the percentage of uh, babies born to older fathers are increasing, which I guess... Makes sense. ...is on trend with everything else. And mothers world, right? too, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah, sure. So do you think that that is due to historically under-reporting or rather under-investigating uh, paternal age because of some latent paternalism, like paternalistic... Um, obsession with science and no I think the effect um, I, I did have a read of it yeah. and the effect seems to be less than the effect you would expect from a, a, a woman a, of the same age that's right right so I presume it's a, also a factor of not being able to detect it with this you know readily could, enough with a sample size there could size be a, a, bi- a gender biased reading of this right oh yeah totally yeah <laughs> which yeah. is that all we ever look, we blame and, the woman's yep. fault for having the Down syndrome kid because she was old yeah you know meanwhile her like her silver backed uh, hubby of yeah. 65, whatever, is like just scot-free having kids all over the place yeah. with like, you know... When he can get it up, yeah. yeah. Uh, Arizona State University, uh, researchers have developed a new prosthetic hand system with a fully oh. implanted, wirelessly controlled neurostimulator that has restored feeling to a person with a hand amputation. Now you're scratching my itch. You like that? Yeah, so readers... Uh, of this podcast don't know I guess I mean so I am uh, I guess an orthopedic surgeon um, and so a lot of this work this kind of surgical work to um, do implants for limb salvage or for um, prosthetic linking so we're doing a lot we're seeing a lot more um, neural linking of the body to prosthetics we're Mm. not quite at the area uh, level yet where we can regenerate limbs but we're getting much better making bionic limbs as opposed to bionic mushrooms, um, <laughs> that are more that are better controlled by the body, right? You you can do yeah. so many movements with your hands, and up until recently, if you had a prosthetic arm, you can basically open and close it, right? So you lose so much of your freedom with what you're able with the, the signals, and actually the nerves go right down to where you lost your arm, for example, or, or whatever it is you lost. And so there's been a lot of work in the last decade at looking at how we can recapture the signals that are just ending in that that sort of cul-de-sac of your arm Mm. and use those to get that same sort of dexterity in a prosthetic limb and so a lot of that's involved um, sometimes remapping where those nerves go to put them bring her the closer to the skin so we can actually Mm. pick them up with sensors so that's been the big push but yeah this is really cool because now what we're doing is we're going okay so we're kind of getting better at getting the nerves out now how do we get the nerves back in how do we get the signals from a robotic hand because well, yeah, apparently this is the first. This is really big. So this it's is a, a fir- it's a first system that's wearable and for long term use, belong uh, beyond the laboratory setting. So yeah. I think they had had some success in a laboratory, but this is the first time it could go commercial with this thing. It's incredible. So historically, the because the two big limiting factors for people actually using the prosthetics, and a lot of people don't use them. Uh, number one is they don't do all that much, so they're not nearly as nimble or as useful as a regular hand. Yeah. Um, and the second problem is there's no there's very bad feedback because you don't really get any feedback at all from a metal hook or from another robotic hand. So you can imagine trying to, if ever you woke up with like a sleepy arm, mm. imagine trying to do anything useful. Like that is an arm that still has all the dexterity or at some point it has a lot of the dexterity of your regular hand, but no feeling. Imagine even brushing your teeth with that dead rubber hand of yours. Like <laughs> can you imagine how hard that is. Yeah, totally. And so imagine being crippled by both a much less useful hand and one that you can't feel. It's just it's just crazy. So that's really cool and I'm very, very big into that sort of stuff. So that's awesome. 
Sweet. Uh, next one up is from the University of South Australia. Hey, that's I was going to say local, but oh, that's local. whatever. Yeah. Um, this one has some relevance for me. Uh, understanding the potential for yoga and Tai Chi interventions to moderate risk factors for stroke. Ooh. So apparently Tai Chi and yoga... I mean, look, this is probably well, well known anyway, but yeah. Tai Chi and yoga reducing hypertension, fatty acid and blood sugar levels, mm-hmm. which are all risk factors for stroke. Now, th- this one is actually... Um, the question I had for you, this one was released in a, an open access journal called Future Neurology. Yeah, okay. Um, and I couldn't access the full article because I had to pay for it. And I was like... That's not open access. That's right. That, that, my, that was my question. I don't quite... I don't think that's... Is that them trying to get money from the, um, from the researchers and from the readers as well? What's that about? Well, no... Maybe explain... What, what's an open access journal versus versus open access journals. ordinary journal? My understanding is that open access journals are publications that are usually online. Yep. And don't require you to readers to pay for it. Um, and but they, I don't know if you have to pay for submission. Usually though. you do. I think uh, you for, probably for still open access, do. The, the people doing the research have to pay quite often a lot of money to get in the, uh, in the journal. Yeah. Which has some issues because you consider like the potential for it's conflict pay of interest. For, it's like payola, right? Yeah, pay, pay, pay to publish. Pay to play, which is a potentially a big problem. Big time. Um, and so there's, there's big concerns over open access journals for that for that reason. And yeah. um, also the, the, the standards of peer review and all that stuff is, as well. I'm not quite sure how... The incentives are misplaced, aren't they? Yeah, but then you've, you, it doesn't suffer from the issue that normal journals have, which is we can't access them. Like this is research that's meant to be benefiting mankind. And you have to, what, pay thousands of dollars for access to a, a suite of journals just what member of the public's going to do that anyway we've had long conversations about this before i'm not a fan of the way we do things right now i know it has to change i think open access is some stepping stone along the way yeah. i don't know what's gonna happen though so that was a great chat about yoga and tai chi the next one yeah. uh, was about british journal of Op- wait wait Op- can we talk about the yoga and the tai chi though sure well i mean what do you think about that i'm not surprised okay. in, the, in the slightest sure um Regular listeners would know that I practice Tai Chi quite mm-hmm. a bit. I, I do a daily practice of Tai Chi. And um, it's, yeah, it's been transformative. I love it. Um, in, in all the ways that you would expect, um, if you believe the hype. Yeah. Which is um, muscular stuff. Like my back. Your posture is awesome. Can't you see how I'm sitting? Yeah. Up, sitting up straight. Dead straight. Yeah. My shoulders Dead back. straight. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like a board. I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually doing Kegels under the table as well. <laughs> got nothing to do with Tai Chi. Uh, but also mental stuff and, yeah, general sense of... And blood pressure too, I think, apparently. Well, I haven't had a stroke, have I? You, I, stroke? Uh, I don't know that you haven't. <laughs> but if you have had one, you've recovered remarkably. I'm, I'm looking all right. Yeah, you look all right for a guy that maybe has had a stroke. Um, here's the thing that I don't understand. Um... Yeah, so we all know that's very good. I totally agree. Meditation, Tai Chi, awesome things. How would they decrease your like your blood sugar? I don't quite understand that. But mm. if the dad is there, I'd love to see it. And I don't deny it. I'm that's just a slightly more, you know, corporal manifestation. Corporeal. Corporeal. Yeah. Um, okay, I buy it. Moving on. British Journal of Ophthalmology: Summer Birth and Computer Games. Computer games uh, linked to heightened, computer games a link to a heightened short sight risk in childhood. I mean, this is one of those studies I think where you kind of go, no shit, a little bit. Like this is what Norm Macdonald 
used to say on SNL in the 90s when he did his weekend update was published in the Journal of Duh. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, who would have thought that playing a lot of, doing a lot of close-up work and playing computer games while you're young would develop my... So, okay. Summer Birth, though. That's an interesting one. So, now, why Summer Have a birth? guess, because I've got the, the reasoning that they've put forward for the Summer Birth in okay. terms of that. So, it's got to do with school cutoff. Yes. Um, yes, well done. It, it always does, though, right? Because yeah. I think that Malcolm Gladwell had some theory in... Was it, was it Tipping Point or Outliers about hockey players and like winter like summer births and they were generally older for their eight for their year at school and they tended to do better mm. so there's like this little window two or three months if you're born those months you have a higher chance of ultimately being a professional athlete it's along those, those reasons so yeah so obviously their age has something to do with their maturity in well i'll give you i'm gonna give you full marks for that i'll, okay. I'll expand a little bit so so basically the idea is when the eye is young yeah. Um, and you're doing a lot of close-up work. There's two theories. It's either the fact of the close-up work indoors or it's the opportunity cost of not being outdoors. One of those two things might be contributing to... Sure. Um, Accommodation problems. Potentially, right. Yeah. Um, now, for people born in summer, this was done in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be younger than those. The sort of Due to the school cutoffs, they would be the younger yeah. set of students as opposed to those born in winter who would be... Just before I was, the cutoff. Yeah, so I'm a summer baby, August 5. Yeah. So, and I'm same um, schooling system as the UK from being from Canada, so Northern Hemisphere yeah. like dates. And so, yeah, I was young for my school age in that hemisphere. Right. So that makes sense. So, and you don't have glasses. <laughs> no, but I didn't play computer <laughs> thanks, games. Thanks for being the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> oh, shut up. But I, but I didn't play computer games. Oh, okay. Almost at all. Well, you're talking. You're, you're talking to a guy that played heaps of them and wears glasses. glasses. But anyway. Oh, and but and you were a summer baby, in Australia. I saw summer baby. Yeah. I'm a summer baby. But does that play out in Australia? I think yeah, it does as well. It does. It does. It does because the school year, the school months. It's not quite. Yeah, it's not quite. Anyway. Anyway, whatever. So because the summer babies are fractionally younger as they're going through school, they're always sort of six months. Their their eyes are six months younger all the way through. Mm-hmm. So they're essentially experiencing that effect um, in advance of those that are born in winter, which I thought was quite... Which means that they have the eyes that are six months younger, but they start playing computer games six months earlier than they should be relative to their peers, right? I guess So, so they're beginning those... The idea is that they're beginning those activities at well, a younger it's, it's, age? I think it's more to do with the close-up sort of writing on paper and all this right. kind of business, right? Like, Oh, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. And sure. presumably, it's even intensified now that a lot of young learning, not just you know, kindergartens, but it's on computers, right? Yeah, we, we've. Uh, yeah. My boring you there, Sonny. No, <laughs> but that's it. We're done. News just in. I it's like over. that. I like that a lot. Okay, that was good. I, I think, think that's a stayer. I think. That's I think be that's a, a keeper. Yeah, I, knew, I think we win on all parameters of that one. I like that. Okay, now to the main event. To or the main have you event. Got something after, else to say? No, no. After this uh, short musical interlude, as we like to do. Mm-hmm.
you ready um, to go with this one? This yeah, is I a- think I'm ready to go with this one. So you sent this to me last week, and I think it's great. And it now, reminds me of a lot of things I've read or have seen in the last couple of years. So it, I'll give the title again. It's called Nutrition Transition into Lowland Bolivian Subsistence Populations. Yeah. And it's by uh, Thomas Kraft. I'll say et al. There's a few other I was going to say, what's our position on et al's? I feel as though we have the airtime here to give everyone their credit. Thomas S. Kraft, Jonathan Steiglitz, Benjamin C. Trumbull, Melanie Martin, Hillard Kaplan, and Michael Gervin. You all done a great job. Thank you. Nice paper. Nice work, team. Yeah, nice paper. Nice, simple paper. Well, it's also um, a long time coming as well. So um, the background to all this, mm-hmm. and f- forgive me, authors of the paper, if I uh, get some of the facts wrong, um, but there's this a particular population called the Chimane population, which is in Bolivia. How did you get the pronunciation? Did I you read about it? T- no, I typed it into Google, and yeah. then I saw a little acute on the last E, and it, a, an alternate spelling that had CH instead of TS. So it's TS. Okay. Um, T-S-A-M-I-N-E No, T-S-I-M-A-N-E Sorry Yeah, okay, cool So you saw a C-H alternate spelling And I just I went with it Ch- okay. And I think T-S to me Smart Well, I don't know Too Greek Potentially Well, t- it'd be J It'd be more of a J Anyway Okay You're, you're the uh, phoneticist here So, that's right So, this population They've been studying for 16 years As part of a grander um, uh, A grander study uh, called the, the Tumane Panel Study, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And over the last five years, they've been taking a lot of dietary readings, well, um, self-reported readings from the uh, population. And the idea being, we're going to be comparing um, levels of um, levels of obesity and um, what, what was the and body fat. Yeah, obesity and body fat. At. Yeah. Let me give you uh, the objectives here. We aim to characterize and compare dietary profiles of two neighboring subsistence populations in Bolivia who vary in market integration. So there were two populations, one called, uh, um, what was, sorry, the other one was, I've lost them. With the other tribe. So one was called Chimane and the other one was called the Moseten. 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 Now the Moseten um, are slightly more, and over the last maybe 200 years, they've started becoming more, um, having more interactions with uh, contemporary Bolivians, right? So due to you know, access to markets and yeah. all that kind of thing, they're, they're, sl- they're more integrated than they've the always, Chimane. They've, they've always been a little bit ahead of the Chimane. Well, quite a lot because the Chimanes were um, only in 1950s, the 40s, 50s, where they they first sighted by, um, you know, I, I don't want to say modern day, but you know what I mean, like mm. the modern day Bolivians. So they had what 150 years the patience of, of further isolation than the Masetens did. Mm. So given that the Masetens are sort of further along this trans- transition, nutritional transition they call it, um, we've got this interesting gradient that we could compare. What's the nutritional effect of their sort of eating, the Chimane versus the Maseten versus typical American diet? Yeah. So we call this um, a natural experiment. Right, which is an experiment that you um, would love to run if you could dream it up, but it's either too hard or unethical to run, right? So to control the diet of two populations of neighboring villages over the course of five years, 
I mean, come on, like you can never really do that. Or trying a drug on, you know, X number of people at a big scale, just not ethical. But sometimes nature does it for us and we can kind of look back and kind of try and tease out some results. So this is a great example of that. And there's a few more that I'll talk about later mm. that have been really interesting studies. Um, so continue. Yeah, so the whole idea was to assess um, because this particular Chimane population have very, very low levels of cardiovascular disease um, and a few other commonly common diseases. For- uh, yeah, there's in like type 2 diabetes. Type yeah. 2 diabetes, that's right. Those are the big, the big two outcomes that I think attracted them to looking at the Chimane where they're type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular that's right. problems. That's and, right. And, and they actually have quite a low variation, low variance, variation? Variation in diet. Yeah. So there's like a low basket of goods, if you like, uh, in terms of what they consume, which might initially, you might think that should play against them in terms of all of these factors. Mm. Um, But as we might find out, it does not. No. And I don't think that's surprising. People often criticize people or diets for being, having low, low variety. Mm. But if you think about evolution, you will, you will often have a diet that's probably incredibly uh, simple, right? And mm. a lot of a lot of animals which live very long lives, like look at whales, they eat krill, just krill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When's the krill diet hitting like the wellness well, industry? I don't know. <laughs> I feel man. like that's got to be. Once we embrace this idea of low variation in diet, I think the krill is going to be the uh, the reductio ad absurdum <laughs> of that diet. Well, there was there was some there was some guy who had was obese and decided for a year that he was only going to eat potatoes. That's a, that's a legit. Well, if you believe him, that's a legitimate thing. That mm. and apparently it solved all his problems. Well, then we can get into some but of these exclusion, these issues of really like exclusion diets, like the all meat diet and whatnot. I don't know about those, but I, I, I do I'd know like that you'd like to open that up later on. So once we deal with this particular study, uh, yeah, I, think I don't I want to talk pot- about the carnivore diet, which is now. Yeah, I don't know about a potato only diet, but certainly a diet of, of plants or animals, you know. Those animal, those plants or animals have to grow with energy and other nutrition, right? So mm. the higher up you go and the higher order animals or plants that you eat, the more you can get out of them without having to look around for other things, right? You get them to do your foraging for you. That's right. Then- so especially as a carnivore, um, you eat animals that eat the vegetables and all the other things so you don't have to. Um, so that's not surprising to me. Mm. Okay, so in, in the comparison that they made... Um, what was what was interesting? There was a few things that were interesting. Firstly, as I said, the Chimane had a, a lower variety of um, yeah. Uh, that's the wrong word. I'm, what am I? What am I trying to say? Lower diversity of diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what's what's been happening recently is that the Chimane, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you want to see it, they're becoming unavoidably more integrated with contemporary society. Right? Socialized by socialized. The word, by- they're, 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 Sneaking in, sneaking in. They're um, getting a lot more goods from markets and that kind of stuff. And what's happening is that there are these classes of foods called LOSS, L-O-S-S, lard, lard, oil, salt, and sugar, Mm -hmm. which typically were very low in the uh, Chimane diet. Yep. And they're now creeping into their diets over the last sort of decade or so. Yeah. And that's seen within them a particular an increase a considerable increase uh considerable i'm having a look at the plots here it's not considerable but there is a um there is an increase yeah in With their, a, and, in then, and then a small BMIs decrease and, body fats. and then a small decrease over the last <laughs> the year end. um but nonetheless it's, it's kind of 
I guess it um, synchronizes with the um, with the view that their low diversity diet, which is high fiber um, and low in a lot of like um, well, it was high in carbohydrates, right? Yeah, that's right, high in carbohydrates. Uh, and interesting, interestingly, they actually have more energy consumption than a typical American diet. Mm. I, I couldn't believe that because my understanding of the American diet is that it's would be off the charts, right? It is, well, and it is. It, it is. But, but the energy expenditure is really low. 100%. So, right. it's, all, it's all good to eat all huge amounts of calories if you're burning them up, hunting for said calories. Yeah. So, this was, I think, a problem with this. Not a problem with study. Rather, a an element of the study, which was that there are a lot of variables in this study that are really hard to control for. And the the Simone and the Mositin um, deferred not just in what they ate, but also in their behavior, right? So you can imagine um, if you're a subsistence hunter-gatherer, right? Yeah. All your time is spent hunting and finding that food, right? Yeah. Now, if you're the Mositin and you, the whole point is that you have increases of uh, lard, oil, salt, and sugar, and the reason is you're closer to markets. That means you have convenient. You begin that food because of convenience, which means you're not working as hard for that food. That's a hundred percent. So yep. there is this they sort of accelerated. Sure, yeah. Well, they did, yeah. So this is they discussed this. This is not my my reading of this. <laughs> no. Like this is this is totally just face value, right? And that's what's really interesting is that it's a really hard thing to tease out because the diet is linked to their behavior. Their behavior is their diet, and that's what's caused the whole problem. Mm. And so obviously, is the Chimane, Chimane life becomes easier. They will be using their energy less and they will be taking in more of these loss foods. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's really cool. Really interesting to see kind of. And the other thing they said was not only did the Chimane lose energy from the actual act of hunting and finding their food, but their life is just so hard though, with infections and whatever else that their body is in a constant state of like high metabolic activity. So, they're either running around doing something or the body is trying to um, stave off some kind stave of off some sort of a parasite or infection, right? Right. So they're running, they're running hot. So they're just burning energy all the time. Uh, the, the other thing they raised too is the fact that um, the Chimane tend to have a lot higher amount of micronutrients like magnesium, potassium, and selenium as well based on, again, probably based on their diets given that they're eating... Selenium Gomez. <laughs> that's really good you're on fire today my friend thank you news just in is is perfect the fact that like i was trying to think of a name for it and you just came up with it on the spot i remember all Woof. the old twitter Draku handles <laughs> don't worry um yeah, a, test so, of, a test of will so a test of will is really good so so there would be a an issue well not an issue but i can see this micronutrient thing maybe someone picking this up and Maybe drilling too hard down on that at some point. Possibly. Um, but that could also be a factor in terms of their, their health. But it seems to me, like you were saying before, the diet is hard to separate from the behavior. lifestyle and behavior that yeah. accompanies it, right? Like one follows the other, as we exactly. discovered. And, um, and also, unfortunately, um, diabetes, um, heart health are intrinsically related to Activity and fitness as well, right? Yeah. So both to diet and to fitness, we all we all know that. So they're really hard to tease apart. Mm. At what point is it the diet? At what point is it the energy that you're sacrificing to maintain that diet? Um, and I don't know if the article did a lot to tease out those two factors. Mm. Mm. Um, but it is a bit of a pilot study. They all they did was really look at the differences that exist. Um, and I think that there's kind of there's a lot 
a lot more work they can do or that can be done with these two tribes. Because these two tribes, especially in um, in South America, there'd be plenty more as well. They represent such a massive opportunity mm. to do these kind of natural experiments with, right? Um, so I think, can you think of any other, do you know of any other of these natural experiments? Uh, no, no. I mean, I'd heard, I'd heard briefly about some of these subsistence populations, but um, I, you know, this is the first time I'd actually read about a study involving them. Mm-hmm. So, no is my answer to your question. But mm. well, back in the one that I know of, that's probably the most famous, is one that was done in the early seventies, um, called the China Study. Have you heard of that? That rings a bell. It was Not really popular. There's a, I know. It, because I saw a Netflix documentary on it. Right. <laughs> right. Let's, re- let's repeat that verbatim. Yeah. And this is not the, the Chinese restaurant syndrome study. It is not. Okay. No. Um, but they basically did a study in the 73 to 75 where they did a very similar experiment where they looked at, uh, they went to China. Um, in China in the 70s was not quite as urban or urbane as it is today. And it was still sort of in transition. So it, like the Chimane and the Mositan, they had a lot of, um, very traditional dietary uh, communities and some that were probably less so. Mm. And also just a huge variation in regional diets, but would they, and this is important, and this is what the Chimane and the Mosetan have, is a genetically homogenous population, right? So even though right. they're different tribes culturally, genetically they're incredibly similar. Right. So you can do this almost like a, like a twin study type, mm. you know, at scale. So I think there were 65 or so communities in China they looked into all around the country. And they found that you know they correlated their diets with their health outcomes, and their conclusions were that cholesterol in any quantity over zero milligrams um, was bad for you and had decreased sort of cardiovascular outcomes and, and longevity and whatever else. And they also found I think that any diet, the ideal diet is a whole food diet, so based on fruits and vegetables and sort of you know um, grown mm. um, food, whereas any meat. At all, I need so animal fat basically I think, was one of the major problems. But animal eating was uh, correlated with bad outcomes as well. Well, see, that's that's why this study is particularly fascinating because you know those studies based on you know what to eat to have a healthy diet they yeah. always end up being the same thing, which is like uh, a wide variety of foods, exercise, and your sweet, right? Obviously, um, but to me, this kind of this speaks to something which I don't know if is talked about enough in terms of health. Um, you get vegans saying the vegan diet is the healthiest thing. You get mm. now carnivores saying carnivore diet is a thing that can kind of work as well. But to me, it's almost like there could be this sort of landscape of potential like efficient diets that a human can exist with, right? I think so, yeah. And if you've only eaten meat or for whatever reason, for you know, due to geography or culture or whatever, you can, you've only eaten a certain type of diet, you're body would change this is me with no nutrition background by the way this is just as me no just i think you're doing well i think you're speaking sense induction um yeah so you would kind of your body would change such that that diet works for it it would mm. it would take whatever it can from that diet and then um make the body an efficient user of that diet so to transition from one diet to another you might find you actually find that quite difficult, especially if you, you know, sharply go from one diet to the next, right? And then you'll go to that other diet and be like, well, that's a bad diet. But in fact, it's actually your body that hasn't transitioned properly into that. Partially, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm trying to relay this to 
well, my, firstly, my own experience of trying to be a vegan where I was just like, I've eaten meat my whole life. I'm going to be vegan now and um, had a whole heap of various issues with didn't that like it three or four months into it I, I kept it up for like a year and a half but well you you were not vegan for a year and a half i was vegan for probably about probably about a year and then cheating vegan for about another six months <laughs> um, i didn't realize yeah. it was that long I'm, yeah. impre- I'm very impressed uh look i was cheating here or there a little bit along it's the fine. way but whatever um yeah and so i think what's happening with the carnivore diet is that people have essentially potentially could be reaching this another peak of efficiency on this um, dietary landscape. You know what I mean? Uh, and for whatever reason, that works for them. And yeah. then our, our, our friend, our friend, the Jordan Peterson, the much maligned Jordan Peterson. I think we Peterson, can call him our friend. Oh, you know, he, uh, we're not his friend, but he's our friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he, we, we've opened the door. He certainly has said in his carnivore diet experience that the more he's been eating just meat, as soon as he deviates from that a little bit... It's catastrophic. It's catastrophic. Yeah. Right? Which before he started doing it, it wasn't as catastrophic to mm. eat a whole bunch of carbs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about all that stuff. Anyway, but to me, I, f- I feel like the study we were just looking at, mm. the Samane study, is quite interesting because with my lack of knowledge of nutrition, I feel like they have a sort of efficiency that they've almost probably evolved with to some degree as well, right? Absolutely. And... If I can interrupt you, you say you have a lack of knowledge. Yeah, you have a lack of formal knowledge, but you've been eating food your whole life and surviving, right? <laughs> yeah, so you, well, yeah, so you, have an, you have an evolved knowledge, which is, I think, I think is the major point, is that this yeah. is all about evolved knowledge, right? Mm. We haven't been thrown into a world where there's food where we've never eaten before. We've got to figure it out. We've had, well, if you count animals, billions of years of eating experience, right? Mm. And if you look at humans alone... Somewhere in the in the world of five hundred thousand years of eating experience, right? And we are not total idiots with regard to what makes us feel good and what makes us not feel good. And but we can be idiots as to why it's making us feel good and why. It's well, we're not very good at, at causation and correlation no, with that necessarily. But that's no. where we have to look at the patterns, not just what you've been doing, but you do sort of intuit over the course of your time what is generally good and what's generally bad. Hmm. Um. See, so yeah, I think you're you're more educated than you think you are with regards to thanks, bud. Diet, thanks, bud. Um, with the Chinese study, though, mm. it makes perfect sense. It's one of those great natural experiments, but it had a couple of criticisms as well. And one of them was, in fact, that that someone was like, "Wait a minute, you're telling me that any animal intake is is going to be bad for us? How does that make sense? Eating animals has been, without question, a very big part of our, our of our evolution." Hmm. How could something as fundamental to hmm. our evolution that we've evolved to learn how to eat, how could that be bad for us? Hmm. There's entire animals who only eat other animals. I mean, fundamentally, we are just animals. Hmm. I think that to, there's a suggestion as well that uh, there's some sort of human-centric um, attitude, ex- or human exceptionalism yeah. attributed to being a vegetarian, right? To not eating meat, to think that we shouldn't be doing it, that it's bad for you. When, if we're just animals and the other animals do just eat that and they seem to be doing just fine, they're not even allowed to eat <laughs> vegetables. Like, they haven't been made to be able to eat them. How could it be that bad for us to have any increase of animal intake over zero? Mm. And so some of the reviewers are like, well, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I think one of the other criticisms was that in the last, so that was published in the early 70s. Um, and especially in the early 70s, I mean, we grew up in the 80s and 90s. Um, 
it was no different. Cholesterol, bad. That's you know, right. You know, well, you know that from the minute you grow up, right? I used to try to avoid cholesterol yes, from you a did. young age, which I, I think is a terrible mistake. Well, everyone always said that, right? Yeah. And then you get a bit older and you find a bit more about cholesterol. And you find, oh, no, there's good and bad cholesterol. There's HDL and LDL, right? Yeah. And you learn that, well, some things have the good cholesterol and those are the good things. And some things have the bad cholesterol. You got to avoid those things. Mm. And then we went, oh, okay. So it's a bit, it's not quite so clear cut. But yeah, cholesterol is still, there is still a bad cholesterol. Mm. And then we found out, what, two years ago now, they, that last huge study, that from what we can tell, there is zero correlation between even the bad cholesterol and heart disease. Um, and so you go back to the study, which is now this kind of this paragon study in diet and sort of a great example of the ultimate natural experiment. And it seems to potentially have been tainted by the attitudes of the times, still, mm. in some way. Now, I don't know where the bias creeps in, but we can presume there may be some bias in that reporting because that result now it doesn't make sense with much larger studies we've done. Um, so that's really interesting. And what I like about this study is that it's similar to that Chinese study, and I think they could tease it out to get really big data out of this study. That's really interesting. Um, but their outcome, their conclusion so far is just so rational, which is it's just a diet of complex carbohydrates that avoids oils, excess sugars, and added sugars and added salts. Mm. And Plenty of animals, plenty of like animal protein, plenty of fish. It's kind of like the ultimate, just mixed, kind of sensible. Yeah, just it's just a sensible diet. Yeah, right. Avoid junk food, and just eat stuff that's real. <laughs> yeah, you know. And this again, it seems like it's published in the annals of duh. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and you see this neighboring tribe that's eating slightly more junk food, and they are having. It's not a big difference, right? Did you it's look? Not. Did you crunch the numbers? Uh, I think it was something like. Six percent versus sixteen, or something like that. No, the I, I didn't crunch the numbers, but I read the crunched numbers yeah. at some point. Um, so here we go. The the Chimane, what what was it? Um, uh, seventeen types of market foods, which represent eight point one percent of their diet, mm-hmm. um, and. Do, do, do. Lost the other one. The the Mosetan diet has nineteen point five percent derived from mar- market derived items. Okay. Yeah. And what about their outcomes? What do you mean, like the the obesity? Uh, um, they from my memory, they weren't huge. I think the actual BMI was reasonable between the two groups but the incidence of obesity within the groups was not a big difference or like their body fat percentages was mm. not huge because mm. um, I guess they are still very similar yeah I'm trying to find the um, anyway yep. where's Rusty when you, when you need him Rusty <laughs> do you have any thoughts on things not things the study could do better because I think it did what it did what it set out to do very well um, do you have any thoughts on where you would like to see this go well, I feel like the studies like this, I'm sure, are just going to become rarer and rarer because you're just going to lose these, Absolutely. these tribes. So um, I, I can imagine this being one of the, uh, well, ironically, a dying breed of study. Um, but no, I mean, it's nothing Nothing I read that I thought Well, of. they kind of saw it dying before their eyes, which is part of the point of the study, right? They were losing their significance as the study went on. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite interesting. But no, I've got, I've got no comments in terms of that. Okay. But, um, I think... Um, they they made a sort of this inference that um, that this lifestyle and this diet were associated with lower degrees of diabetes and heart disease, 
which I guess is probably true, but they didn't actually look themselves into the incidence of heart disease and diabetes. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so, yeah. so like, these were like almost proxies for... Yeah, and we've already seen with some other studies how if you use proxies, you can be caught out because you may be missing um, a common correlation rather than a causation. Hmm. So in all likelihood, they probably are very deeply related, but that wasn't actually teased out and it'd be interesting to see someone actually do the studies looking into their diet, their activity levels, um, as well as very discreet cardiovascular uh, outcomes. So looking at like, you know, some lipid levels or some some uh, cardiac output levels and, you know, things like that, blood pressure or whatever yeah, else. Yeah, so here's, here's the, the, the crucial sentence in their conclusion which links that. It says, um, um, these early warning signs suggest that food additives alone might be sufficient to herald the onset of numerous chronic diseases. So the early warning signs being those in the, the uptick in BMI and body fat for yeah. the Chimane. Yeah. And that right. seems very to be a reasonable conclusion. I don't know if they've done enough work yet to say that. Well, no. I mean, I guess you, you need need long longer follow-up, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Um, yeah, you do. You need longer follow-up. And I think you need a few more outcomes to measure. Yeah. But all in all, I think it's a pretty awesome study and one that represents like a massive sort of well of potential. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks, team. Thanks, um, Kraft et al. Have you heard much about these other like lost South American tribes? Uh, no, 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 no. There's, there's a number out there. Um, I just, it boggles my mind that that could still be the case. Like I just can't get my well, fathom. Some of them are be... protected by their governments. Right. And with the intention of them not actually being contacted at all. Hmm. It's a choice that we've made for them now, which is that they should not be contacted. And this is really interesting because right? you have this example of these two tribes, the, the Chimane and the Mositan, who were already lamenting the loss of the Chimane to sort of more Western ways and their market access and their diet. Um, but to do that, you're also making them live a life of hardship, of hunting and gathering and disease and this high metabolism just to stave off parasites. Yeah. And you're kind of forbidding them access to markets and all the things yeah. we take for granted. And right? they don't have Guitar Hero either. They don't have, they don't have Guitar Hero no. on, on either Wii or PlayStation. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, or maybe on, maybe on Wii. Um, maybe some trickle down <laughs> to them. But... Uh, so it's a del- I'd, li- it's- I'd like to do a study potentially in terms of their like mental health. I presume it's probably way better than well, everyone well, in the Western world. Busy, right? Because yeah. we do know that being busy is a really good thing. Yeah. So it probably is a good thing to um, to leave them alone. But there is a degree of sort of parentalism or uh, paternalism and parentalism and parental. Well, <laughs> non-gender. It's just. Parental. I think now we can just say parentalism. That's right. Can we? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's I guess a degree of sort of paternalism the way we speak about this and the decisions we're making for them as being the older wiser you know sort of advanced species mm. and they are these simple uh, oh i think that's being a little bit uncharitable to not uh, simple no, i don't mean like, from an intelligence standpoint but we, we've you're going to be damned we, we if you think do and damned we've if seen you the ills of our side and we think we know what's best for them well no but you're going to be damned if you do and damned if you don't in terms of you know the i don't want to western culture or whatever mm. right like what what do you want to do? Infiltrate them and destroy their culture completely? Like I mean, either way, it looks like I agree. A, I think a it's a really hard it. thing. I yeah. don't think there's any way to to sort of broach that that scenario. Um, I, I think mean, I think this is the best way of doing it, which is to try to protect them because you know what has survived them to this point. Yeah, surely should be try should be protected. Right? Go if you go on YouTube. There's some or not uh, on YouTube as well, but on Google you can see some photos of some of these tribes, and they are like legit, like loincloth wearing. 
No, I, face I painted like apocalypto type tribes. Right. It's incredible. Mm. And you know, every now and then, like every like ten years, someone gets a photograph from a helicopter of them, and either candidly or they're looking up and seeing whatever the hell that is in the sky, and they don't see any other sign of civilization for another ten years. It's pretty awesome that it exists. Incredible. It's incredible. It's really cool. Um, so I don't know. I mean, do we keep them in a little cage on a shelf for us to admire as a, sort of this? Well, well, see, that's the thing. I don't think we're trying to admire them. It's not like it's a you know one-way glass that we're, you know, I don't know. I, I can't see it being some kind of museum. The studies that's being conducted are, are for their own benefit. Do you know what I mean? Like this is this is us trying to. It's for our I'm, benefit. I'm sure- it's for our benefit too. Oh sure, but there's nothing wrong with that. No. Um, yeah. So look. Anyway, interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. Um, all right. Is that it for? Is that us for this week? That's it. Episode six, done. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Uh, next week, uh, who knows? We'll be doing with, I, again. Well, with another study, we don't know yet because we don't it know hasn't yet been released. Maybe it has been published. Exactly right. It hasn't. This was uh, this piece of. Uh, this study was released only a week ago, so it's fresh, hot off the, off the press. digital press. <laughs> Catch you around. Thanks See for you listening. guys. Thanks. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, um, we are on Twitter and Facebook. It's at Jeremy's Iron Pod or Facebook Jeremy's Iron. That's it. Subscribe. You know what to do. Ciao. Adios.